Clark Forsyth has been fighting for life in the state houses and courtrooms across this country longer than almost anyone. He has been witness to and deftly impacted law and policy in a way few will ever have the chance to. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Clark Forsyth, Senior Counsel at Americans United for Life. We'll discuss Clark's amazing career, look at where the life debate has been, and read the tea leaves on where it's going. I'm Tom Shakley. This is Life, Liberty, and Law. Okay, welcome to Life, Liberty, and Law. I'm Tom Shakley, and I'm here with Clark Forsyth. Clark, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Tom. So we have a lot to talk about, and time is always limited. So let's start with, for the new listeners, who are you, where are you coming from, and how long have you been in this movement? Well, I started as an attorney with American Jedi for Life in Chicago, Illinois, in February of 1985, and have worked more than full-time with AUL for uh, 34 years. And um, uh, it's been a, a challenge every step of the way, but it's been uh, a very rewarding career. And as an attorney, I, uh, you know, there are lots of things attorneys can do. And, uh, but I don't know anyone that, any lawyer that enjoys their work as much as I do. What was the pro-life movement like uh, when you first joined Americans United for Life? Well, I joined about several months, eight, nine months before the uh, Supreme Court uh, held argument uh, that was argued by Dennis Horan, who was chairman of the board of Americans United for Life and a prominent Chicago attorney in a case that became Thornburg versus ACOG when it was released in uh, 1986, the following year. And, uh, that was a kind of a uh, low point uh, in the courts because um, uh, the Blackman majority, the uh, pro-abortion Blackman majority, was still in charge on the Supreme Court, and we lost that case. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, it was a, l- a low point. We were fighting tooth and nail in the courts against a harsh Supreme Court, and um, things are much more um, promising and optimistic today than they were back in 1985. And so despite that initially difficult beginning, you stuck with it. I think a lot of people, especially early on in their career, they face something like that. They might read it almost as a proxy for how so many Americans thought that, you know, abortion would sort of die down as an issue, that it wouldn't be something that they continued to, to, you know, correctly prick the, the moral conscience of the country. What, what led you to kind of push through despite those, those initially dark times? Well, it was in, in part um, just my faith and uh, my conviction about the issue. And I was also surrounded by some great attorneys and inspired by them, not only Dennis Horan, but uh, Ed Grant was uh, executive director of American Genetic for Life at the time. And I was working with Maura Quinlan, uh, very smart um, strategic attorneys. And they mentored me and encouraged me and... Um, brought me along and um, we simply had to persevere. 
I mean, things improved yeah. over the next four years leading up to the Webster decision. I mean, actually, the following, the after the Thornburg versus ACOG decision came out in early 86, um, uh, Chief Justice Berger retired. So Justice Scalia joined the court that summer. Uh, Justice Rehnquist was elevated to Chief Justice. So we saw, I mean, uh, you know, 14 months after I joined AUL, we saw the court changing. We saw the harsh Blackman majority uh, retiring, receding, and uh, we saw the court changing for the better. And that was certainly, I mean, among other things, was encouraging. And this has been this this change uh, to to bit by bit a more life affirming perspective. Uh, even though the law itself um, has has been slow to move, culturally we've seen a lot of change, uh, attitudes change. Um, does all this kind of speak to to your own longevity and your your interest, your your devotion of your career to both this issue and and this organization? Well, we, uh, I mean, perseverance has been a big part of it. Uh, the encouragement of colleagues uh, and um, simply following, I think, a prudential strategy and understanding uh, the the problems with Roe versus Wade, the problem with abortion, and persevering in the states to protect uh, unborn children from conception, to uh, warn women away from the tragic choice of abortion, to promote alternatives, to protect women from the long-term risks, um, and to understand that the Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade was a unique, tragic stage in uh, the history of the Supreme Court and the history of America, and the need for wiping that stain off the Supreme Court and our constitutional law. And so it's required um, a long-term commitment. Um, but frankly, we've seen progress year after year after year. What are you personally most proud of at your time at American United for Life? It's been continuing the pressure on uh, Roe versus Wade on the court. It's been... Um, increasing legal protection for the unborn child through state law, through prenatal injury law, wrongful death law, fetal homicide law. It's been seeing the number of uh, the re- abortion rate drop 50% since 1992. Uh, and it's been defeating a national right to assisted suicide at the Supreme Court in, the, in 1997. Um, I mean, uh, that left it to the states as abortion should have been left to the states. The court said, we're not going to create a national right to assisted suicide. And... Um, that means we've been fighting state by state, and all those seven states or so have now legalized assisted suicide. It's better than a 50-state edict of suicide for any reason um, across 50 states. So um, that's saved lives and um, enabled us to protect the sanctity of life. That's great. So, I mean, this really pivots into the next thing I wanted to get in with you, which is what are kind of the major trends in abortion or in the abortion debates over the last half century since Roe, since just before Roe? I mean, are things getting better? Are they getting worse when it comes to the life issue, abortion and broadly? Well, I think it has been getting better. Um, I mean, and we can see that through the progress in the states, the the number of states with fetal homicide laws, the number of states with 20-week limits, uh, the, number, the drop in the abortion rate itself, um, public opinion showing um, that the public's more skeptical about abortion. Um, I mean, 
uh, a supermajority of Americans think abortion should be illegal after the first trimester. I mean, so many different indicators and and statistics. Um, but of course, um, you know, if Rovers, if the court had left the issue to the states in 1973 and had nationalized a, a, a right to abortion, where would we be now? I'm not sure because Rovers's wages completely changed the landscape. Just as if the court had said in 1997 there was a national right to assisted suicide, that would have completely changed that debate as well. Um, so um, overturning Roe is an absolute necessity. It's not going to eliminate abortion from coast to coast, but it will return the issue to the states. And given the progress we've made in states across the country um, um, in the last uh, 25 years, uh, I'm confident we'll win uh, if we can return the issue to the states and be fighting state by state. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I did, this brings to mind kind of that old adage that, um, you know, history is is cyclical to some degree. And I guess I wonder, is the abortion debate, bioethics debate broadly concerning human life and, and the human right to life, do you think this is a cyclical or, or more of a linear debate and conversation? I mean, is this something that, you know, whatever happens in the next few years regarding Roe itself, are we kind of doomed for this to just be a, a perpetual conversation in America? What is your sense on that? Well, I think we've made progress and continue to make progress. And frankly, I've seen the, the pro-life movement um, persevere at several different stages when we suffered setbacks. I mean, we've persevered after the Carter administration and the Reagan administration was elected. We uh, persevered in... Uh, uh, 1992, after the Casey decision and the Clinton election, um, we went through eight years of the pro-abortion Obama administration and have persevered since 2016. So um, it's it's almost as if at each of those junctions, when there's been a setback, we've persevered and then uh, gotten to to new heights of of progress. Um, but but the issues I, I think are are different. I mean, to some extent, we're not even engaged on some of these. Uh, bioethical issues like surrogacy or um, mm, yeah um, um, and these are issues that most Americans don't even realize like the surrogacy the surrogacy debate I don't think has 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 really occurred yet in the mainstream I think it's something that a very select number of people are paying attention to and thinking about um, but you're right yeah uh, human enhancement um, um, brain enhancement I mean some of these bioethical issues aren't even quite engaged yet uh, so um, um but I think when we have engaged, we have um, raised the issue in, in American culture and American public opinion, whether it's assisted suicide or abortion, and uh, with a, a focused and determined effort in politics and legislation and culture, we have uh, made progress. So has the court itself, the Supreme Court of the United States, has it increased or decreased in terms of its importance or, or maybe even domination on, on these issues over the last half century? Do you get the sense that it's it's trying to step away to kind of get to what you're talking about, kind of a, a more limited federalism where citizens can make these decisions on the state level, or is it necessarily still right in the mix? Well, the court is is in the mix, um, and um, I would say that, uh, but, but that I think there's a heightening sense that the court has to get out of the way, and the court has not settled the issue. 
uh, Roe versus Wade is as settled, if not more so, than it was in, in, 19, in 1973. We're seeing now Justice uh, Thomas, Clarence Thomas, um, in various opinions just um, rail away at the court's control of the issue, telling the, warning the court that this is not going away and the court has to deal with it and send it back to the states and get out of the way. And that's uh, all to the good. Um, there's more pressure on the court today than I think it at any time. And there's a, a greater sense that Roe is unsettled and the court's made a mess of the issue and can't settle the issue. That's, that's all good. We are increasing the pressure uh, and, and heightening the crisis at the court. And that's, that is moving it, I think, toward um, sooner or later overturning the decision, sending it back to the states, a, a, a forum where we, we can win. Yeah. So, I mean, what does that mean for what's next for these life issues in America? I mean, I think that to me, this begs the question of um, the role of AUL strategy, for instance, is, as incrementalists in the pro-life movement. Um, but but where do you see things going, you know, on, on the, the standpoint of, of advocates, you know, for folks who are involved in the fight? Well, I, I don't think there'll ever be a one Supreme Court decision that'll solve everything or one federal law that'll solve everything or... Uh, you know, one state law that'll solve everything in the state. These are different bioethical issues. They have different dimensions. They have different causes. And I think they have different solutions. So I don't think there is a, a one national law or one state law that can solve them all and just comprehensively protect life from conception to natural death. Um, we've got to work on each of these issues because they have uh, different t points of tension, different causes, uh, different thing, factors that perpetuate them, and probably different solutions. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do often think about the vision of the Declaration of Independence and how we are really working today to perpetuate that vision and make it a reality in American law. Yeah, I think this is, this is a question. You're, you're sort of you're, you're touching directly on incrementalism, this is a debate that sort of occurred within a particular section of the pro-life movement. Um, there, there are folks who view themselves as incremental advocates, and there are folks who, to your, to your point, are trying to, you know, they believe that there is sort of a panacea, a one-shot solution um, to ills. And I think it's, you know, when you look at the, the arrival of the 1973 Roe decision, that didn't come out of nowhere, right? I think that's to your, your to your point about Justice Thomas's um, concurrence most recently in Box versus Planned Parenthood, laying out a decades long history of movement toward toward what the Supreme Court ultimately did in 1973, right? And so incrementalism as an approach is actually it's it's a common sense, it's a humane response to say that things you know very rarely ever uh, get better or worse overnight, right? Well, I think that shows the difficulty and the challenge of change in a democratic society where power is decentralized. It's decentralized at, at the national level. It's decentralized within the states. And, uh, and, and that makes positive progress difficult because power is, is de intentionally decentralized. So we don't have tyranny. It creates freedom. It preserves freedom. And the freedom... It means that people can go off into license, and um, it's uh, it's difficult to uh, protect life. But 
you know, I, I, I must say that um, an incremental strategy has to take a backseat to prudence, the cardinal virtue of prudence, the intellectual virtue of prudence. Uh, that has to take the lead um, because um, I, I like Thomas Aquinas's definition of prudence the best, uh, right reason about what is to be done. And that right reason about what is to be done has to be applied to the assisted suicide issue, uh, the abortion issue, and the bioethical issues that are coming down the road. Um, I, uh, I've never been, I, I, I'm not committed to an ideology of incrementalism. I'm not committed to an ideology or a religion of, of small steps, baby steps. What I, I think we, prudence focuses on is the largest steps possible toward our goal, uh, understanding the obstacles and counting the costs. That's, as, that's prudence, as I understand it, applied to the public policy arena. And prudence in any particular situation may say, yes, uh, an, an incremental strategy here is, is the best one. It's a wise one. I mean, frankly, um, uh, an incremental strategy is advised in all walks of life. You hear it in mil the military. You hear it in finance. Um, and um, the, the connection is that... Um, uh, we need to create momentum. We have created momentum toward our goal. And momentum comes from a series of victorious steps, a series of victories. And um, that um, often comes through an incremental strategy. And it has proved successful on the abortion issue. Yeah, so in, in many ways, we've been kind of going through organically the story from 1973 through to the present. You know, this is is always the most difficult thing to do is to predict the future. But at the risk of it, I'm going to ask you, what do you think the story of of maybe the next 50 years on on these issues is? Well, I think we will overturn Roe versus Wade um, sooner or later and send the issue back to the states, and that will be good. But it won't be a panacea. It won't be a an automatic or universal solution. Um, but I think we can win on the life issue, uh, on assisted suicide, on abortion, uh, fighting in the states. Um, because the, I mean, we, we all have to recognize that, that federalism has been a plus for the pro-life movement in the United States. When you look at parliamentary systems in Great Britain, where you have one parliament, no federal system. If you're blocked in parliament, game is over for the year. Uh, you're blocked by a committee chairman. Um, uh, you, you don't have states to go to to continue the debate, to continue the public policy process. You're, you're blocked. Same thing in Canada. Uh, and, and when you look at those countries with parliamentary systems and no federalist system of states, the pro-life movement is often moribund, less, vi less vivacious than it is, less vigorous than, and successful than it is in the U.S. And so we need to love federalism in a sense. And um, um, I think as we work in the states and build the strength in the states, state by state, uh, we will be able to uh, uh, increase protection for human life and be in a better position to anticipate any bioethical issue that's down the road. But I think it will always be a struggle. I think it'll always be a challenge, just like slavery it has not been eradicated worldwide. Uh, I don't think the uh, the challenge to life will be eradicated worldwide because we, we live in a fallen world. And um, um, 
when there is freedom, there's freedom to take life. And, um, uh, and uh, there are the uh, temptations to take life into our own hands and to um, disparage human beings and human dignity and discount it. And um, that's why the law is needed to protect life. So what does the most effective pro-life movement look like going forward? What does it take to, to realize some of these you know, visions of the next 50 years? Well, I think we do have to uh, realize the vision of the Declaration of Independence and keep it before the American people and keep that vision there. And we need to persevere and not let up. Um, we can't uh, assume that overturning Roe is going to solve the issue. Uh, we can't, uh, uh, I mean... Which is you know, a difficult even, thing, right? Because I think that there are huge numbers of people on, on both sides of this issue who think that is the, the, key, the key moment. You know, folks who, who think the status quo is, is great um, are very worried about that happening. And, and folks who recognize what the, the implication of human dignity is recognize that, that something like it needs to happen. So it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult path that you're laying out in that sense. I think it's a more sober path. Uh, it's a more prudent path. Um, but, but kind of preparing people for that reality that this is, that, that it's not only is it difficult to predict the future, but it's difficult to realize that that single moment in time that does something uh, of the scale or greater than what the justices did in, in Roe. So I think, I think these are, it's a difficult thing that, that people need to become acquainted with. Yes, and I, for example, take a, take a page from the civil rights movement. Um, you know, the, the Civil War uh, may have um, ended legal slavery, but it didn't eradicate slavery. It didn't eradicate uh, racial discrimination or Jim Crow or racial segregation, which can, per, was perpetuated for decades. And... Um, in fact, things got dark 30 years after the Civil War in the 1890s when Jim Crow was pretty solidified and so was racial segregation. And um, things did not really turn around until the 1940s or 50s. The Supreme Court came down with Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. But there was another decade before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and voting rights. Uh, and, you know, 50 years after that... Um, um, black Americans are still um, still working against racism, which hasn't been eradicated from our society. So there may also always be a hostility to protecting uh, human dignity uh, for people who don't look like us. Yeah, and or we people who can't be seen. Yes, and we have to uh, we have to hold high uh, human dignity and the value of human life and. Uh, persevere going forward and not let up. I think that speaks to, you know, the, the most essential thing, a thing that makes your work and writing unique, Clark, is that in a lot of ways, if I could sum it up in some sense, is that taking uh, a moral position, in other words, awakening one's moral conscience and recognizing that each person in, in a democracy has a role to play in exercising their conscience, coming to a conclusion, and then, and then you know, accepting the natural implica implications from that uh, that's an incredibly important thing. And so that that's, you know, when I look at, at how I uh, think about my own life and what I can do um, as, a, as a person who is life-affirming and, and wants more life-affirming laws, it, I think it does come down to that, that you can't underrate the, the awakening of, of the individual conscience.
And um, as that's awakened, we have to be responsible citizens and act out our role as citizens in a democratic republic. Okay, so as we're concluding here, we're going to get a little bit more lighthearted. We want to do our weekly shot of gratitude. Clark, I'm going to start with you. This could be anything. What's what's something you're grateful for? Well, recently um, that the Wall Street Journal is going to be publishing an article um, of mine entitled The Smart Way to Repeal Roe versus Wade. And I'm, I'm glad to be published in that outlet and uh, have millions of Americans... Uh, see uh, a, a vision of uh, why Roe versus Wade has to be overturned and an effective way to do it. That's beautiful. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Um, that's going to be an important piece for a long time, I think, especially through election season. Uh, as for me, something I'm grateful for, I'll take the kind of countercultural position. Everybody in Washington here seems to complain about the summer. I don't. I love the summer here. I don't, you know, I understand some people are bothered uh, by the humidity for health reasons or otherwise. But this is a wonderful time of year, uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, people are going to complain. If it's not one thing, it's the other, so soon we'll be hearing about how tough the winter is, but I think we should be enjoying the summer months here in Washington. So I'm glad you do. Thanks, Clark. It's been great to be here with you. Clark, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from you, uh, and we'll be looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tom Shakely, and until next time, thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law. <laughs>